You bought a new car. Yeah, finally. What is it? A so Ford kind of Flex or something like that? Yeah, it's a Ford Flex. Okay. So I've got, I guess, kind of a story about that. Do tell. Uh, a lot of it's just the typical, like, purchasing a car headaches you'd expect dealing with dealerships. Uh, but I had kind of been, like, dead set on, on getting a Flex because I needed something big enough to fit the whole family in, but I didn't want to drive a minivan every day. And there's only, like, like a handful of cars that meet those requirements. And of those, I liked the Flex the most. Uh, the Flex is not a popular car. It's been around for almost 10 years, and it sold really poorly. I think it averaged, like, 25000 a year. Um, and the, most of those were going to, like, rental fleets. Uh, so there was only one for sale anywhere near me, and uh, it was a used one at a Kia dealership. And I went into the Kia dealership and sat down with the sales, I test drove it, I sat down with the salesperson, we talked numbers for a little bit, and the salesperson offered me like this ridiculous financing on the car, where I think... So first he came back, he's like, all right, I talked to my finance person, this is what we can do. And he just came a piece of paper that said 440 a month. And I was like, okay, what's what's the interest on this? What's the term of the loan? This seems really high for, for anything. He's like, oh, I don't know any of those numbers. <laughs> what, are you, what are you even doing? <laughs> yeah, sales, like, what do you mean you don't? Like, you don't know the yeah. terms of the deal you're offering? What? <laughs> he was doing that thing where... Where like you say something, he's like, "Oh, I gotta go ask my manager." So he goes to the manager's office, oh, and that. he like, whatever. And they comes back, he's like, "Well, this is what she says." And it's like back and forth every time I said anything. Uh, but anyway, I come to find out later, like the, their initial offer was like a thirty-three percent APR. Uh, That's insane. I guess they're just Does, that. Yeah, exists? It's, it's completely insane. That doesn't seem <laughs> even legal. It seems yeah, it's crazy, and like they were really trying to like just like well this this is just the monthly payments and they didn't say for how long or anything else just like this is what it'd be they're trying to get like a really naive person i guess to just buy into it uh but anyway uh that obviously didn't, didn't work out i didn't go anywhere and i i just ended up walking out of the dealership and they called me uh a couple weeks later and i was still looking and i was getting tired of looking and they're like hey you know I think we can make these numbers work or get things close to what you want. You bloody well. And I was tired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was really tired of looking. So I'm like, okay, I'll come back in and talk to you. And I went in, I sat down and talked to them and I had like exact numbers. I'm like, if you can do, uh, this down payment, uh, this term, this APR, I'll buy the car today. Otherwise it's not going to happen. And like, oh yeah, yeah, we can totally make that work. Uh, and it actually made me feel like, oh, man, I went in with, with terrible numbers. If they immediately accepted this, I should have tried to be more aggressive with my haggling. <laughs> yeah. <But> anyway. <laughs> anyway, yeah. like, yeah, we can totally do that. Uh, like, our finance person's out on lunch, so we'll just get started on the paperwork, and they'll finalize it when they get back. So I'm there for, like, 30, 45 minutes doing this paperwork, and then the finance person gets back. And then uh, my salesperson, whatever, goes to talk to them and comes back out, and he's like, Actually, this is the best we can do. And he gives me this this uh, this number that was higher than the number that we had haggled down to the first time I went in. Oh. So I'm like, okay, well, this is the best you can do. Then I'll just never mind. And I left. Uh, and that was on a Saturday. 
a little over a week ago. Uh, and they're closed on Sunday. And then that Monday, I got emails, I got text messages, I got phone calls from the manager of that dealership saying, no, no, we felt so bad that we couldn't get your numbers to work, that your sales guy worked on it all weekend, and now we can. We can do those numbers. <laughs> like, what, like there was something to work on. work but... on in this scenario mean? It doesn't mean anything because they put your information into a computer and the computer comes back saying, this is the financing options we have through all of our different financing companies. There's nothing to work on. They're just like trying to jack up the number and make more money off of me. But anyway, so they sent me all these messages uh, saying like, yeah, we can finally do your offer. Like explicit in text writing out like, this is what we can do. Like, perfect. I'm glad we can do this. And I took I took their offer to another dealership and got a car from them with their numbers instead. That is ruthless. Wow. You, <laughs> showing no mercy. So it it worked out really well for me anyway, because I got, uh, it's a year new, uh, year newer. It's got a higher trim package and 15,000 less miles on it. So, and I got it for less money overall than they were offering. Wow, yeah, you stuck it to that first dealership, didn't you? You really showed them who was boss. <laughs> you showed them who gets played in this scenario. Yeah, I really, like, I feel sorry for the people who go into dealerships like that and don't know exactly what they're getting into and don't know, like, exactly what to look out for. Because I'm sure they get tons of people that way just by saying, oh, it's only this much a month, and people just sign the paper not looking at anything else. Yeah, that's um, it's not fair. <laughs> Some people don't have advisors or you know, don't know about yeah. interest rates as as thoroughly as as other people. So I'm, I'm glad you showed them anyway, because I mean, offering someone thirty three percent is criminal. It's preposterous. Yeah, it's insane. Like my final number that I got from from actual cars, like at four point five percent. So that's right. Yeah. I've been looking at cars recently, and it's like 2%. I mean, that, that's like a, an offer, a special offer, but... Yeah. Wow. 33%. Well, if your credit is anything above awful, I'm sure you can get a better deal than mine. <laughs> Student loans killed me. <laughs> so, um, Tell me briefly about what a flex is. They're certainly not in Australia. I've never heard of one before I saw your photo, and I looked at the bumper and saw the flex. Mm-hmm. They're really interesting, to me at least. Um, so the what is now the Ford Flex was initially unveiled at a, a car show in 2005 as uh, the return of the Ford Fairlane. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they're like the Fairlane's a much older car that Ford used to make. Right, a Fairlane is just like, a classic sedan, isn't it, with a higher trim level than like a, a Falcon, which is I don't know if you right. have those with the base th- model of the Fairlane. Yeah, we did. All right, and I think the Fairlane came in like a like you could get it as a station wagon, and I think that's what that was originally marketed as. Is like, look at this. This is the concept of a futuristic Fairlane station wagon. Um, and that was in 2005. Uh, and then the Ford Flex, uh, in its final form, came to market in 2009. And it's like this, it's not an SUV, it's like the size of an SUV, but it has more of the characteristics of a station wagon. And it's it's really unique, it's got a lot of space inside of it, and I like it a lot just because it's different. But it's kind of one of those love it or hate it designs. Is it something like a, a Tarago? Like, do you know any of the Toyota, Toyota Tarago or a Honda Odyssey? 
Uh, I'm not familiar with the Tarago, but an Odyssey is just a minivan, right? Uh, I always had it more in the class of a sedan, an oversized uh, or station wagon, like an oversized station wagon, instead of a minivan. Minivans like are considered somewhat taller, you know, something you could almost stand in, whereas this is certainly I, a car. I guess the differentiating factor for me is the sliding back door. If the back door slides, it's a minivan. Ah, uh, okay, but right. <laughs> I like that. That's a good um, differentiator. So you have no sliding doors. <laughs> right. And actually, in the original concept, they were suicide doors, so the back doors opened out the other direction, uh, which never actually made it to the final design. But anyway... They're terrible, so it those, became the market... those reverse opening back doors. Yeah. My, my parents-in-law have one of those cars, and they just... Oh, really? Who thought this design was good? It's, it's not. It doesn't work. <laughs> so... Uh, Anyway, it came to market 2009, and I think Ford was anticipating selling like 100000 a year. And then, like I said, they averaged 25000 And most of those are going to rental companies because they're big cars that, that people can use when they're traveling. So they're really popular with rental companies. Uh, and then they, they just left it. They just like made very minor updates to like the infotainment system over the next 10 years and have done nothing else, which is odd for for a car styling to last that long. Um, and now they're... this. I think this is the last year of it. They're discontinuing it next year. So it's going to become a collector's piece and you've jumped on the bandwagon early. <laughs> or the station wagon there's, early. There's definitely like a niche community of like people thinking the Ford Flex is going to become some kind of, yeah, like collector car in the future. But I just liked it because it, it had three rows of seats, but it felt a little sportier than driving a minivan every day. Have you joined up the FordFlexForums.com? <laughs> no, I'm not on any of the like the Flex Forum websites. I'm a member of the Ford Flex subreddit, which has a total of like 10 posts in its entire history. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh, well, subreddits are the new forums, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's there's like, I think it's FordFlex.net. There's actually a really a big site for Flex owners. Uh, but... I don't know. I'm just going to drive it. I'm not going to get into the whole community of owning one. Uh, but you have another car which you're more interested in, don't you? Uh Oh, man. Uh, okay. Yeah, I have I have my Camaro. Um, it's broken right now. The life of a Cam- Cam- Camaro owner. Oh, we always <laughs> call them Camaros, so it feels weird saying Camaro. Oh, really? The life of a Camaro owner. I think we do. Now I'm lost. <laughs> Sounds like you're just saying camera with a O on the end. Camaro. camera? Camaro. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Camaro with that real awkward like, ah, in the middle. That's definitely not how we say it, but <laughs> but uh, I, was, I was driving it last week and um, the clutch uh, just lost all pressure behind it like the master cylinder or whatever i had lost all its pressure and so now i i was in the middle of driving and could no longer easily shift gears without trying to rev match or something so now it's parked uh because it's kind of an expensive fix to replace like a master uh master and slave cylinders for a clutch 
because you got to take the whole transmission out. So you're talking like $3,000. And then while you have the transmission out, you might as well replace the clutch and the pressure plate and all of that. So I'm, it's just sitting in the garage for now. I'm not going to worry about any of that right now. You need to sell the flex to pay for the uh, repair bill. <laughs> I I'm once had get... a, uh, a clutch cable snap on a motorbike and I managed to get it all the way, like a 15-minute drive through peak hour traffic on a busy road, just like... Oh, man. <laughs> riding the throttle and, like, smashing it into first at stoplights and, like, wheeling it down the street. It was quite an experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not want to deal with any of that. I was only, like, 10 minutes from home, and I'm like, I'm just going to put this in a parking lot and call it tow truck. <laughs> uh-huh. A wise choice. I cannot recommend it, <laughs> clutchless riding or driving experience it's probably terrible <laughs> but, uh, for the gearbox anyway oh yeah i'm sure and i'm uh i'm already fed up with the camaro i'm probably gonna fix it and sell it so <laughs> <laughs> after all that work trying to get it back i know well it's just one thing after another and i'm getting tired of all i forgot i forgot how expensive it was to own a 20 year old car so it's, it's it's terrible isn't it it's really bad. I've like our well, especially after these repairs, I'm gonna be putting more money into repairing it than I actually paid for the car. That's what pushed me onto the uh get a new car and rotate it every three to four years. Um Yeah. Because I had an older car and it was an older BMW that pushed me onto it. I mean that's like the worst choice of car because Yeah. <laughs> I mean the the K's weren't even that high, it was like sixty thousand miles, but Oh man, it was costing like thousands and thousands of dollars every year and just parts that would go. And um, when you do the math, it, it works out. You could just pay off almost like a one-year-old car yeah. for almost the same you're spending on repairs and then just turn over <laughs> that car before it hits. Like uh, That's where my car is at the moment. It's approaching like 100,000 Ks, which is roughly 60,000 miles and in the... Mm. The service bills are starting to go up, and it's at this point that I want to sell it and get a car that doesn't have high service bills. Yeah, definitely. That's a. When I was growing up, we couldn't go more than like eighteen months with the same car. My parents were always swapping them out because <laughs> if it had like more than thirty to forty thousand miles on it, it was too old for them. Wow, they've got high standards. My my dad's just really into cars, and he liked getting new cars, so it wasn't really standards. <laughs> it was just his hobby. I, I enjoy cars, but not so much the buying part of it. Although I am looking forward to having a car with CarPlay, hopefully, at some point. Yeah. That's what's pushing yeah, was really... towards the new car at the moment. <laughs> I was just... My, my Flex is a, a 2018, and it's by far... Like, the car I sold was a 2010. And the difference eight years makes and the technology they put in cars is crazy. Like, this Flex has, like, adaptive cruise control and it does the self-parking thing and it's got, like, a built-in hotspot and it's just... It feels like I'm stepping into the future. There wasn't much movement from, like, you know, early 90s, like, 80s to mid-thousands, was there, in in car technology? Uh, Yeah. Admittedly, I wasn't looking to buy a car around the vast majority of that time but having owned cars throughout that period 
I mean, there were like cars early on that had lots of tech and then because they were like a high trim level but then you could also buy a car with almost none of that tech and like from the yeah. start to the end and there wasn't a whole lot introduced as far as tech went or really anything yeah cars were mostly mechanic mechanical and the changes were really just in like body styling right and it seems like in the last 10 to 15 years now they got all these new electronics they're adding every year. What we need is Apple to have a car and then have an excellent trade-in program and then to make great little videos <laughs> about it too. Anyway, so. that's another topic. Should we get into our real topics for the day? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Good morning. Morning. We have yet another MacBook Pro failure topic. My first question is, how much time should we spend talking about it? Or are we going to lose the entire audience? <laughs> Admittedly, well, it's the yeah. top of the subreddit, 11,000 upvotes. Yeah, my initial thought was definitely like, man, we're just going to... When I first read the post title, I'm like, we're just going to gloss over this. We've talked about failing keyboards so many times. Uh, but actually, after sitting down and reading this like really technical teardown of the keyboards, I mean, there's at least a few points to highlight here. It was really well done, well written, thoroughly researched, um, and the Redditor CIL3X seems to even have plans to do an even more in-depth analysis, um, maybe even using some like high-tech uh, microscopes to work out what's really going on. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first time that it ever occurred to me that the keyboard issue wasn't necessarily dust intrusion. Uh, up until this point, I'd always just kind of taken Apple's word for it, that, like, things are getting under the keyboard, and that's what's breaking it. And I guess that's partially also just uh, me going on experience. Like, that's ever, only ever been the failing point of keyboards, is, like, something gets under it or something sticky gets in there, and that's how keyboards fail. Uh, but it seems to be, like, the conclusion that... Uh, UCIL 3X makes in this post is that it's just a really poorly designed keyboard that has actually really good like uh, protection against dust intrusion, so that can't be the issue. I think I had a few hints early on that it wasn't only the dust that was causing the problem. The first ones to like, me were when I had my MacBook Pro keyboard replaced, and that, I mean, the first one lasted quite a long time, like well over a year. But then subsequent mm-hmm. ones in the same environment lasted less than a month. Uh, so that was the first hint that this can't possibly be dust. And then the second one was when the the new MacBook Airs came out with the gaskets. And then the first problem seemed to be reports of, of double bouncing the keycaps instead of like keys turning mushy. And that was the first problem with those. Right. Um, Which I'm just can't grab really be a, caused by a, dust. A, a sweater because I'm really cold. <laughs> Back in a sec. <laughs> okay. I'm like shivering in my seat. What is the temperature right now in Perth? Uh, it's 17 Celsius. Celsius. What is that in Fahrenheit? <laughs> What's that in uh, Fahrenheit? Uh, let me see. That is, oh my god, that's 62 degrees here. That's so warm. <laughs> so warm. 
right, I'm back with that's, you. That's actually the exact temperature it is here right now. It's 62 degrees. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's insane. What a coincidence. <laughs> so you you think 62 degrees Fahrenheit is a reasonably warm temperature, hey? My ideal weather is low 60s and sunny. Like any more than that, and I start to be uncomfortably hot. Uh-huh. If I was in the sun right now, I'd, I'd probably be fine, but being indoors, not so much. Right. Yeah, I guess I keep the indoor temperature closer to 70, which I don't know what that would be, but let me see. That would be 21 degrees Celsius. That sounds like a reasonable indoor temperature. Okay. I mean, if you want to walk around in t-shirt and shorts, which I do most of the time. So this user, he was actually a... um, an Apple repair tech, or an Apple technician at one point in his uh, career. So he, he does yeah. have a pretty good background in pulling these apart and replacing them. Although I wonder how much uh, keyboard uh, disassembly the repair techs really did because they're mostly just replacing entire components rather than <laughs> pulling things down bit by bit. Yeah, that's true. They just kind of swap all, everything at once. So what's but, the uh, um, the conclusion of his post is that the gaskets are preventing the dust from actually getting in there unless it's below like a, a certain micron size. Although another Redditor comments that to be smaller than... Um, what did he say it was in microns? I can't see it now, but to be smaller than that, it's basically smoke. So we wouldn't be seeing uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'd be seeing right. this problem uh, a lot more with smokers if it was if it was down those lines of these like absolutely microscopic uh, particles getting in. Um, so the gaskets are really preventing the dust from getting in there quite well, mm-hmm. and so it has to be something else. And he's positing that it's probably the heating and cooling cycles that the the computers go through i mean they're constantly heating and cooling as you turn them on use them use them for something that that pushes them and then i don't know i was gonna say watch youtube but that actually spins up the fans quite a lot (laughs) let's say you stop (laughs) watching youtube for a minute and it cools down again and the the constant cycles that the components go through is causing the the mechanisms to fatigue and to to not uh, to not function properly. Um, really, that's not the not the conclusion I pulled from it. But <laughs> <laughs> so, because uh, he says that he uh, pointed a heat gun at three hundred degrees at these switches and was unable to see them warp or distort in any way. And so, with that extreme heat test, he didn't think it was heating and cooling, but more likely uh, just stress on the repeated uh, distortion of the the metal dome switches, eventually causing them to permanently distort in a way that makes them fail. I didn't think his his single heat test would really have been enough. And also, he he probably didn't have any uh, sort of magnification high enough to really 
to really tell whether that, that one heat cycle was doing any damage. Um, so it's probably in conjunction with repeated use. Repeated use plus... Well, in summary, the, the mechanisms are fatiguing for whether it's use or um, heating and cooling. Temperature changes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, man. I mean, the, the long story short is that these are bad keyboards. They need a redesign. <laughs> <laughs> so. That is true. But apparently there's maybe a bit of controversy in Apple's misleading people with exactly what the issue is. That, that's the other aspect of it. Apple's the one that added the gaskets to the latest keyboards, to the Gen 3. Right. Why would they do that if they didn't think the problem was, was dust? Or do we have a multitude of problems and originally it was dust, whereas now it's fatiguing mechanisms? Uh, well, the keyboard he disassembled was a, a second-generation butterfly, so it didn't even have the newer gaskets on it. Oh, is that correct? I, I missed yeah. that completely. Yep. Well, I take that back. <laughs> uh, but, but that still begs the question, why would Apple add gaskets if there was no dust even getting into the second-gen mechanisms? Uh, well, the hypothesis that he makes in his post is it says, uh, it proves that Apple themselves have no idea how to deal with the issue or that dust was either just an excuse to satisfy their customer base's demand for an answer or their engineers are genuinely nowhere near as smart as everyone thinks they are. A harsh criticism indeed. <laughs> but I imagine they do have an idea. That's a fairly... Um, yeah, it's a harsh judgment to pass on Apple engineers who actually designed this to start with. And I, I know it's not a design that's working well, but... Um, it is quite an intricate design and <laughs> something that requires a bit of knowledge about uh, how keyboards work. So I imagine they know what's going on. I and agree. There's no uh, way they don't know. Yeah. So there is, yeah, very much a disconnect between what he's saying and what Apple's doing. So it will probably come down to what happens in the next keyboard. What they do in the next keyboard is going to tell us for sure, based on Apple's analysis, what they recognize the problem to be and how they go about fixing it. There's no way they can get away with not having a completely redesigned keyboard this year. I just I just don't see anyone being okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not the Apple subreddit. Definitely not, <laughs> but it does it does raise a lot of concerns for the the typically typically really high resale value of these Apple laptops. Uh, seems like the death of these keyboards is all but inevitable. Uh, so especially once this uh, extended repair period is over, are these computers going to be worth anything? That's the long term damage. That's that's going to affect the the name of MacBook for a long time. I yeah, want, I do wonder how much the you know the non Apple subreddit population <laughs> who are actually buying Apple computers are aware of this problem. Right. 
Um, because as long as you still have masses of people buying laptops or lusting after laptops, the, the resale value will remain pretty good. But um, if like if people are doing their research and the very first thing that comes up is don't buy this computer because the keyboards are, are terrible, um, then we're going to start seeing resale values of MacBooks go through the floor. Yeah. I was actually... I actually am surprised that um, we saw the redesigned MacBook Air still use the butterfly keyboards. I guess that was close enough to the release of Butterfly, whatever, Generation 3, that maybe they thought they'd solved the problem. I wonder how... Well, the the first problem with the MacBook Air's keyboards is it's actually double-pressing the keys rather than getting, like, smudgy keys... Right. So it, it's possibly a completely separate issue. Unfortunately, just compounding the reputation of this keyboard. <laughs> I mean, maybe the older ones were actually more durable, considering you're able to dump baby powder on yours, and it still <laughs> worked longer than any of your replacements. It did, and that's the unusual thing. That was a <laughs> good keyboard, the first one I had. All the subsequent <laughs> ones were terrible. Uh, what what have our standards been reduced to that a keyboard that lasts a year is considered a good keyboard now? <laughs> True. <laughs> good point. <laughs> um, one of the commenters actually uh, works in keyboard tech, um, and he's saying that a anything more than a a, a ten second debounce. So basically, when you when you let go of the key. Uh, the the key the computer doesn't recognize like further inputs uh, for a certain period, uh, just mm-hmm. as the key settles back into its spot. Uh, so saying more than a, a ten second debounce is considered bad, and and that's what people are. I think some people have hacked their MacBook Airs with this like double pressing problem um, for a, a longer debounce time than that. Um, but he's right. suggesting that it's possibly that. The the travel is is so minuscule on these keys that that once you let go of them, just the mere vibration of the keycap after you let go of it is is hitting the um, the switch again and causing the the double double strike of the key. I mean, I'm sure that that is a factor. That's not a a new issue that engineers are having to work around debouncing button presses has been uh, something that's been an issue and been resolved for decades and it's usually as easy as putting a capacitor across the button so uh, assuming it was something that simple you'd, you would hope that uh, engineering is sufficiently advanced at this point that they should be able to at least solve for that problem well I think we've done this topic to death but it's bound to come up again. So I look forward to the next time we talk about it. Probably next show. <laughs> I don't like that sort of pessimism. <laughs> this is the new air power. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Actually, it was air power before air power. Air power is just a, a brief a brief um, respite from talking about bad keyboards. <laughs> Yeah, the keyboard drama wasn't nearly this big a year and a half ago, though. True, yeah. It just keeps getting worse. Yep. 
iOS is reportedly getting its own swipe to type keyboard. The very first time I used a swipe to type keyboard on my iOS device was about 35 minutes ago when I tested out Gboard to send you a message. Oh, really? Mm. I mean, I've used them before on other devices, but I never found them compelling enough to install as a default keyboard. I'm mm-hmm. all about default keyboards. And the the other attraction, actually, of, of Gboard is that it actually has Google's voice-to-text translation, which, as someone who uses voice-to-text um, as input quite a lot on my iPad, I thought, wow, I know that Google's version of this is much better than Apple's, so... I might give it a shot right. and get swiped to type as a um, little bonus on the side. Um, but maybe we're going to see it built in in um, iOS 13. That would be... that's Swipe to type is one of the biggest features that I miss from my Android phones. Uh, right, sell me on it. Okay, well, so I'm going to compare this to, to T9. I'm sure that you you owned quite a few standard T9 phones back in the day. Um, so that was, I mean, my first phones were and all probably T9. probably blindfolded um, as well. And I got so efficient at, at typing on those. And I still today, if you hand me one, I can, can crank out a text really fast on these keyboards without looking. Yeah, it's all muscle memory, which was great. Uh, after spending a significant amount of time using swiping keyboards on Android, uh, I felt in a very similar way. Uh, swipe to type isn't... It's almost not using a keyboard at all. Instead of thinking about typing on a keyboard uh, when I swipe, I'm thinking about the words I'm saying, and each word is its own shape. So it's the the swipe pattern on the keyboard I've just associated as shapes for the words, and I can do that without looking. So are you already a regular user of... T9. Of Gboard, um, or and I've of never any been able offerings? to do that well on a tap-to-type keyboard. I've been really uh, unhappy with how third-party keyboards are integrated in iOS, and not really unhappy. It makes sense for things like password fields that the default keyboard is going to take over for security reasons, um, and even but even things like quick replies, it gives you the default keyboard instead of letting you use whatever third-party keyboard you choose. Um, and I really like consistent user experience. So if I can't use the same keyboard everywhere, well, the only keyboard that I can use as the same everywhere is the default one. So that's what I've used. Um, back when I cared about jailbreaking, there was a keyboard called Nintype uh, that I used on my iPhones. And it was a really good uh, dual swipe kind of keyboard. So you could use uh, two fingers to swipe a word instead of just one. And... Uh, it was popular enough that it actually is offered as a third-party keyboard now, and I would suggest you check it out. It's got a little bit more of a learning curve than a standard swipe keyboard does, uh, but it's definitely been... Right, the... how, how does a two-finger swipe keyboard work? Um, so, instead of every time you swipe, it's a new word, you still have to press the space bar between words. Um, but by using two fingers, once you get efficient at it, it's way faster than even just swiping is um and i you have to download it and try it out uh it's got a really good tutorial and there's definitely a learning curve it took me a couple months to get really good good at it but it's by far my favorite keyboard after i got over that learning curve so are Um, you using like two fingers side by side and they're each 
writing one word after the other? No, that doesn't make sense. Uh, they... They're they're both writing the the same word. So if you think about how you type on a keyboard, when you have over four fingers going at once to type one word, uh, versus if you're trying to type the whole word with one finger, instead of moving your finger across the whole keyboard to type the words, you have all your fingers already where they need to be. Um, it's similar with nin type, where you have two fingers, one on either side of the keyboard, so you don't have to reach across the keyboard ever. Uh, and it's really hard to explain. You'll have to try the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> But I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'll definitely need the tutorial. I mean, the, when I just installed uh, Gboard mm-hmm. half an hour ago, I, I was actually, the first time I used it, I was trying to swipe in the space bar, <laughs> not getting anywhere. <laughs> Why isn't this working? <laughs> nice. So I'm really excited for a default swipe keyboard. I hope this is true because this is one of my, my the biggest things I miss from Android. I wonder if this also means that Apple is not that interested in proving um, third-party keyboard support any more than it has if, it, if it's actually making all these changes. I mean, we got some really good changes with iOS 12, didn't we? We got, or was it 11? I think it was 12. Um, well, on the iPad, at least, where you can pull down on a key to get like the, the shift character, the one that's underneath it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's been really nice. Uh, yeah, I don't. I really don't think Apple is interested in improving third-party keyboards. When they announced it, I think this was iOS eight. They added third-party keyboards. Um, when they announced it, it felt like a tacked-on feature. It's like, no, look, we have third-party keyboards now. We're just <laughs> yeah. like Android. Um, just a word in the feature cloud. Yeah, and ooh, especially especially when it first came out. Do you remember how laggy third-party keyboards were and how almost unusable they were? I think I tried it for about five minutes and then it was like, this is terrible. <laughs> Delete. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think they've, like, I think it was an issue with they were only allowing the third-party keyboards to use a very small amount of RAM, and they've since resolved that issue, and they're more responsive, but unless I can use it everywhere, I'm not interested in it. So I don't think Apple has done anything to improve third-party keyboards in the last five years so i really don't expect them to do anything else in the future they've certainly worked on this such yeah. as uh holding down the space bar to move the cursor on an iphone or two fingers to move the cursor on the ipad yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to to more improvements in ios 13 and not long to wait now or at least until we get some dev betas yeah just a few uh well, a month from now, we'll we'll know all about the new version. We have a another semi-regular topic. It's Spotify versus Apple Music. <laughs> <laughs> so now Spotify has 100 million subscribers, double that of Apple Music's last reporting. And I think that's possibly the last time we talked about it too. Apple Music had around... Yeah, it was around 50 or 60 million. Yeah, and it was... Uh, at least hypothesized that Apple had just surpassed Spotify's U.S. subscribers. Right, but then you add in the rest of the world and suddenly Spotify's added another 50 million people there. And apparently, uh, at least half of those are paid users. Now, Spotify has some pretty good 
deals, according to what Redditors say, um, in your country. And uh, that could be contributing to, to such a high percentage of paid users compared to what's previously been reported. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking at the article here. It says they've reached 100 million paid subscribers. So the 100 million is their paid subscriber count. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I see it was half. Okay. Well, I think it's paid. about half of their subscribers are paid subscribers. But that one half number is 100 million. <laughs> All right, so the real number is two hundred million. Yeah, that's quite their... a jump over what we've previously read. It's an enormous <laughs> jump. It's yeah, like that... double. That's uh, man, I just that's four times. I mean, I guess I don't know. Is Spotify's free tier anywhere comparable to what Apple Music has to offer? I haven't used Spotify in so long that I don't even know what their offering is anymore. Uh, as far as I know, the free tier is. I mean, you can't, like, play an album. You can just kind of play songs from an artist. Um, you get ads between songs. Um, not sure about downloading things for offline playback. There might be some of that functionality there. I seem to remember, like, you could skip a song, like, ten times right, every right. few hours Limited or something. Skipping. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like a Pandora kind of thing. Which people still use as well, apparently. Man, I haven't heard the name Pandora in a long time, though. <laughs> I, do, I literally don't know anyone who's ever used Pandora. Yeah. I mean, at the time, uh, which was, I don't know, was it 2008, 2009? It was very early on in the App Store. They were a, a big deal. It was You could choose kind of like a smart radio thing, but... I don't know why anyone would choose that over being able to pick the exact song they want to listen to now. Right. So. Uh, Mental Recon comments that I love competition without it. These services would stagnate and become more expensive over time. Uh, That certainly rings true with me. If there wasn't a Spotify, I don't see Apple forever uh, adding all these new playlists as they're prone to do and creating all this neat... um, cover art for their playlists um the the social features are a little bit lacking but they are there um you can listen to what your friends listening to Um, i i completely agree i'll even go a step farther and say that if spotify didn't exist apple music wouldn't exist all right Uh, we might still be stuck with the itunes store and paying a song they had a great thing going they were making a lot of money off of all these songs and the only reason apple music came out is because they had to compete with Spotify's growing user base so I think the existence of Spotify is good Spotify has some really good deals I know they very regularly have not only the free trial period but uh, like the one dollar a month uh, promotions happen a lot Uh, they have bundles I mean they work with Google so you can get like buy a Google Home Mini and get a few months free of Spotify or something or they can bundle it with Hulu so uh Spotify is definitely competitive with their prices, even if they are, I think, averaging slightly higher than Apple's if you look at just their base price. I wouldn't mind seeing some more discounts and offers come from Apple Music as well. Well, hopefully we'll see that in the form of a bundle with all of their other services coming out this year. Uh, the, the elusive Apple TV, Apple Music bundle. 
speaking of uh, services, I've already canceled my News Plus subscription. <laughs> you and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I gave it a try. I even paid for an extra month thinking like, Maybe this will get me into reading magazines because it's not something I've ever done anyway. What now uh, that you're giving money over? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, it wasn't enough. I couldn't do it. It was just a waste of ten dollars a month. So wait for the bundle, then maybe you'll get it for free later on down the track. Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind having access to it because they have a few magazines that I would like to read, but not that I'd pay ten dollars a month to, to read. So. <laughs> I mean, my opinion is that I've said this before the the stuff I want to read is on the web and and even most magazine articles at least to some degree are published you know in one form or another on the web as well so right and the abundance of it is incredible I've, I've never looked at the internet and thought well, there's nothing new here for me to read. Yeah, yeah. I'm never hurting for, like, I need to read more news or more articles. I can always find them, and I don't I don't need another source of, of information that way. Right. Uh, and the only draw of magazines to me is that there's more long-form content that I'm more likely to, to stick to, to read an entire article, um, especially if I'd had, if I'd paid for it. Um, right yeah. I don't know it's just the you know I've given over money it's more valuable to me I should spend more time and read this article that's going to take me 15 minutes to read instead of <laughs> skim through a website read the first sentence of every paragraph get to the bottom and then move on to the next one which uh, <laughs> I can admit to doing more often than yeah I there's like definitely to. there's definitely still this stigma and it exists because there's some truth to it that uh uh like online journalists aren't real journalists, which I would I wouldn't go that far as to say, but there's definitely like I'm tired of reading web articles that is like a slideshow where I have to click every paragraph to read the next paragraph and every two clicks is an ad and uh that is a, leads to a really unpleasant experience. And there's something there's a lot of purity to reading something uh in full long form in a magazine format. Uh I'd like to see that come to the web versus just trying to buy magazines. Yeah, it's certainly there in places, but but there is right. an abundance of the other type that you described as well, which barely counts as journalism and mostly just as click farming. Yeah, exactly. So, If Apple could do something about uh, clickbait... Just get rid of, invent something to get rid of clickbait. That's my biggest complaint with uh, online journalism right now. At the last keynote, they they described uh, Apple News as like an anti-clickbait um, service, but I, I almost laughed when they said that in my sleep-deprived state because <laughs> I've uh, I had a look. <laughs> After they said that, I went and had a look at my Apple News. I installed it and had a look. Mm-hmm. And there was just... I mean, they don't control which which uh, which sources are in Apple News. And so much of it was clickbait. So I, I, I wish I remember exactly what they said, but I did not agree that there was 
little or no clickbait in Apple News. <laughs> yeah, I think the attention-grabbing headline uh, is not a new invention. It's been around forever. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like uh, the headlines that end in a question mark. If it ends in a question mark, then the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so a little bit more iOS 13 talk. Mm-hmm. Mouse and trackpad support is apparently coming to iPad. Now, th- we did uh, we touched on this last episode, didn't we? Yeah, it's funny yeah. that this was the exact article that I read that I had brought up in the last show. It's funny that it's still at the top of the subreddit two weeks later. Well, it is 14 days old, so it could have come out on the day that we did the show. Yeah, I think it was. I had just read it that day while we were recording. Right, okay. Do you want to go over over it again? Or uh, here's a suggestion. We talk about Apple's trade-in and then we could um, talk about Google I.O. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. It's just a suggestion. (laughs) That's fine. That's a good thing to touch on. I didn't even think about bringing that up. All right, cool. (laughs) Um, so we'll just skip over the keyboard and mouse support since we already talked about it um, and move on to Apple trade-in. Um, so Apple's made a little advertisement, I guess you'd call it. Do one last great thing with your iPhone. And it's a neat little ad just showing. And an iPhone that's captured someone's moments through you know, a period of their life and then they've traded it into Apple and it's gone to another person and it's all motivational and aspirational and... And have you ever traded in an iPhone? I know I never have in my life because generally the money you get back is terrible. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's worth retelling the story because it's, it's been a while. But uh, I traded in my iPhone X for my XS uh, and had a, a very poor experience. Um, your, your scratched up iPhone X. <laughs> yeah. Is that the, what it was? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was it was in in really good condition. It had the the typical like minor scratches that just happen from putting it in and out of your pocket around the stainless steel bezel. Uh, but other than that, it was it was immaculate. It had Apple Care, so even if it would have gotten damaged at some point by ownership, I would have gotten it fixed. But it never happened. So I went to to get the iPhone XS and uh, decided instead of dealing with the hassle of selling it, I would just trade it in. And Apple offered me something like maybe $200 less than what I could have got if I really was patient with putting it up online uh, and selling it to someone who, the highest bidder or whatever. Uh, but it was worth whatever, not doing the hassle. So I, I sent them my iPhone ten, and uh, I got an email from them uh, maybe a week later that said... Uh, your appraisal has been been changed because it wasn't in the condition that you said it was, which was like near perfect. And they said, due to it being severely scratched, it was actually worth zero dollars. And they could either keep it or send it back to me. And <laughs> so you let so, them keep it, of course, a free. Oh iPhone. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had it sent back to me, and then immediately proceeded to sell it for. 100 or 150 dollars more than 
what they had offered me in the first place because it had no damage. And I, to this day, have no idea how they could have valued it at zero dollars, even if it was severely scratched, which it wasn't. Um, it just makes no sense to me. And I never got any clarification on that. And it's kind of turned me off to the whole idea of trading in a phone in the future. So it's not actually Apple that's controlling this, uh, at least not in Australia. It's a third party that does, that runs the trading program. Yeah, it's a third it party. Being. I don't know the name of the company anymore, but it, yeah, it wasn't Apple. It was another company doing the valuation. You should have sent it on to um, the, the woman that always talks about being green at the keynotes. <laughs> should just say like, yeah, you should have. You should have just let us keep it because we would. Clean, we <laughs> yeah. would have, we would have fixed it and given it Think to someone else. <laughs> I mean, I I did what they were going to do. I gave it to someone else to use. So, right, yeah, it's not like you put it in the bin. There's recycling. Yeah, it just makes me wonder. Like, is this some kind of scheme to get people's iPhones? Or I don't know, like, it had to have been a mistake somehow. They couldn't have looked at my phone and said, this is so damaged, it's not worth anything. Uh, I don't know if it got mixed up with another damaged phone or or what. I have no idea. But it was just a very weird experience. The two or three times that I've quoted up trading in an iPhone, they've always been valued at $0. So that's my experience. <laughs> uh, it's It's never got to the point of me sending them the phone and them appraising it. I mean, maybe if that had happened, I'd get like a, a quote back that I owe them money for sending them this old piece of junk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I've never tried to trade in like last year's iPhone. It's always been like a, maybe like a two, three, probably not a four-year-old device. Um, and the quotes always come back as zero dollars. Like you're not going to get any money for this. Whereas nearly any old iPhone you could get like a few hundred dollars for on the classifieds <laughs> yeah so. and, uh, and I certainly don't feel any qualms about doing that I'm not putting the phones in the bin it's getting more use um, I mean really the most painful part about the process is dealing with the classifieds and I sold the iPhone 6 plus um, that I had on I actually tried it on Facebook marketplace and I would have literally taken over 60 inquiries about it before selling it. And it's just, <laughs> um, it's a process. I mean, you have to have your hard skin on when you, you know, it's like selling things on on a secondhand market. Oh, yeah. Be, uh, <laughs> the land of the tie kickers and the low ballers. Yeah, exactly. So, and then even people who, I mean, of the people it's probably 50% that actually show up to see the device and then, yeah, try to lowball you or whatever. It's it's not fun. And it was worth whatever the $100, $200 for me. Uh, but I ended up having to sell it anyway and have the additional headache of shipping them my phone and then having it shipped back and not having a phone for whatever the three weeks it was. It was in the post and then being evaluated. Um, there's an interesting comment from Alan at username uh, who says, so if your iPhone 7 microphone stops working, the Genius Bar charges $319 for a new one uh, and with a 90-day warranty. 
Um, but what you could do is instead trade in that seven for two hundred and fifty dollars off a new seven, which uh, seems to go for four fifty. So bring the total cost to two hundred. So for two hundred dollars, you could come out with a brand new iPhone seven instead of three hundred and twenty for a repair of your existing one, and an extra uh, <laughs> bit of warranty on top of that. Yeah, I wonder if you would actually get the two fifty for a seven with a broken microphone, though. Yeah, I wonder how extensive their testing is. <laughs> Not extensive at all. If if your uh, experience is anything to go by, they just make up something and send you back a zero dollar quote. <laughs> yeah, that'd be worth trying. That's actually pretty clever. Yeah, it's worth trying. It'd be interesting to hear if anyone manages to pull that off. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have um? like bargain websites in uh, in the US where people are just posting like the best um, like deal hacks or prices or specials and it's just like it's kind of like a Reddit you can upvote and downvote uh, bargains and so you've always got like at the top of the page like the cheapest things you can buy right now uh, not that I'm aware of I should look them up <laughs> this sort <laughs> of thing would, would would be on that page <laughs> uh what's the site that you would use for that uh the australian one is called ozbargain ozbargain.com.au hmm. so it wouldn't apply for you but maybe right. there's something similar huh i'm sure i'm sure there is i'm sure there's people who who uh curate lists of that kind of stuff oh man it looks yeah, just like and reddit put it in like a, a reddit upvote downvote format yeah it works really well like the other a, day, someone discovered that, um, like with McCafe, like every fifth coffee is free or whatever. Um, but they mm-hmm. discovered you could actually use that free coffee coupon for anything on the coffees list, which also included one where you could actually get a you know, one of those keep cups filled with a coffee. So it was like a fifteen twenty dollar keep cup for free if you used your your coupon. Interesting. I don't think. Yeah. McDonald's around here has cups you can keep. They're all just disposable. Hmm. Australian McDonald's a bit more green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so. Google I.O., how closely have you been keeping track? Uh, I haven't been watching it live, but... Uh... I read the headlines when they come up. <laughs> <laughs> and do you also read the first uh, line in every paragraph of the articles? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, this is my extent of my research on IO so far. Is I watched the one of those like Google IO in five minute YouTube videos. Ah, <laughs> oh, classic. That's exactly what I do. Go straight to the Verge, the Verge's yeah. YouTube channel, and watch. Google yeah, exactly. Whatever minutes. I actually think this one was like thirteen. It was kind of a long one, but uh, yeah. So I've I got the gist of what Google's doing. <laughs> Did any of it pique your interest? Uh, the biggest thing that stood out to me is that uh, Google was kind of bringing Nest even more in-house and they're kind of merging uh, like the home exactly. hub and Nest. That that was the most interesting thing to me. Why do you think they're doing that? 
what I've heard uh, is that the Nest development team has kind of been in chaos uh, ever since the Google acquisition because uh, Google bought them and it took them a couple years to crank out any new products after Google bought them. And it's been a long time since I read these articles, but something to the effect of no Google employees wanted to go work on the Nest team because of just how disorganized it was. Um, and their product lines have suffered as a result. And it seems like this is Google saying enough is enough. We're just, you guys are kind of disbanded now. It's all just going to be under our name. Except they're keeping the Nest name, which is kind of cool. And they're rebranding the Home Hub as the Nest Hub. So, Do you think that they think that there are like not great privacy connotations with the the google brand and that uh now that they want to put like forward-facing cameras on these things that are always in your house that um that changing it to nest is just this like this nice warm feeling privacy conscious sort of (laughs) brand or or name that that works a bit better rather than google home i don't know Uh, that's the the first thing that came into my mind when i heard that they were rebranding that's an interesting thought and probably has a lot of truth to it. Um, I know I'm not a fan of bringing Google products into the house for those reasons, but I have no problem having Nest cams. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, there we go. That com- point. combined with, uh, I can never say his name right, Sundar Pichai or whatever, the Google CEO. That's uh, pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he had a lot to say about privacy. Um, and uh, I just saw an article. I wish I could I could find it again. But uh, kind of making, kind of pointing out how Silicon Valley is transitioning our understanding of privacy from we won't collect your data to we're going to collect your data, but we won't give it to anyone else. Yeah. Cross our heart and hope to die. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he did, he did make a big point about like Google's renewed... Uh, focus on privacy and adding incognito mode to a lot more uh, products like maps and search. Uh, so I can definitely see where they're trying to to uh, refocus on privacy or at least look like they are. Yeah, that's interesting, adding incognito to maps. That's really I'm interesting. I'm a huge maps user, but I can't think of a situation where I would use it. Like I am I hiding this information from Google or am I hiding this from people that I might share this information with in my family? Like if there's any sort of automatic sharing features turned on or is it just so that where I'm going isn't in my, um, in my history, which I think is, is what it is really what it comes down to is that whatever you're looking at right now, isn't going to be part of your locational search history. Right. Yeah. I think it's, what you're looking at and maybe to an extent where you go like Google Google factors in so many things when they're doing targeted advertising or recommendations or whatever and maybe by doing incognito mode in maps some of that location specific targeting is disabled as well um, but I don't know yeah that was an interesting announcement to me too I, I don't understand where I would necessarily want to use incognito mode unless I was yeah, doing something suspicious, like, I, I want to hide from someone that's not Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. I want to hide my 
Thursday night trips to the strip club so that I don't get advertisements for, I don't know, something that you might get advertised to about a strip club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Pixel 10R, no, Pixel 3A. And everyone's coming out with these low-cost alternatives. First we had the 10R, then we had the Galaxy... 5e yeah and now we have a 3a and a 3a xl l <laughs> pixel so, uh google's taking a little bit well a very different approach to uh cheaper phones than apple did uh whereas apple tried to leave m- as many high-end specs intact as possible uh resulting in a little bit higher price google's uh, put in a like a mid-range processor and less RAM and no expandable storage. I think only a 64 gigabyte option um, and really abandon all premium materials for a plastic case, no wireless charging. Um, I'll be really interested to see what the uh, reviewers say after they had it in their hands for more than just an initial impression because I feel like they're sacrificing maybe too much with this phone. I think even... Oh, I think it's almost guaranteed that reviewers are going to trash it, but that it's probably still going to be in, very popular. What did they announce the price to be? It was three to 400 Certainly less than $400, wasn't it? I think 400 is a starting price. Oh, it's a starting price. Okay. Yes, yeah, 400 for the uh, 3A and 480 for the 3A XL. I think there are a lot of people that want pixels and... Um, would jump on a low-priced one. Well, uh, this does be... uh, this does open up a lot of markets. I don't know uh, what carry support looks like uh, in Australia, but in the U.S., only Verizon and Google Fi have uh, have the Pixel, and uh, uh, most people who are going to Verizon, because not many people know about Google Fi, people going to Verizon are probably going to lean towards a bigger name phone like the Galaxy or the iPhone. I think a lot of casual users aren't even really aware of the Pixel. And the 3A being at a lower price, and it's also available on uh, a wide range of character carriers. It's going to be on our GSM carriers now as well. And I think that's going to open up a bigger market and really get the Pixel name out there. Uh, and, f- well, I guess Android Q is one of the other headline announcements from Google I.O., but... I mean, if you're talking about like, uh, like, I don't know if Google does TikTok releases, but this is doesn't really seem like it's a huge release, does it? I mean, some of the biggest uh, features are at dark mode, <laughs> right? You know, when they're doing a dark mode, that there's nothing huge. Out there. <laughs> People love dark mode, but um, it's not groundbreaking by any means. Uh, new mm-hmm. guest gesture navigation. Which is really close to the iPhones. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Increased security, of course, there's always going to be that. Um, A few other bits and pieces, but uh, if those are the headlines, then you know it's not uh, a massive release. Yeah. uh, There's a lot of... seems like a lot of their advancements recently have been in uh, Google's just Assistant. I know their assistant is, uh, I don't know, what does it say, like twice as fast 
apparently now. Uh, I know when it was being announced, I said something to the effect like, what if your assistant was so fast that it made tapping on your screen to do something seem slow? Uh, right, yep. I don't know if it'll live up to quite that uh, hyperbolized description, uh, but it's an interesting thought. Uh, they also seem to be adding a lot to, to duplex, um, which was a really interesting feature when they announced it last year, being able to call and schedule appointments for you with real people. Now it's able to fill out web forms for you, uh, kind of like autocomplete does on a lot of fo- on a lot of devices, but this is a lot more intelligent than just a basic autocomplete. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be cool to see where this goes. I mean, it might be really good as a, an accessibility feature as well to have assistant kind of navigate your phone for you, more or less. I mean, if yeah. that happens. So, but yeah, Q definitely didn't feel like a uh, a big release for them. I think the the biggest question about Q is, what's it going to be called? <laughs> Any guesses? I certainly haven't thought about it for more than the last few seconds. <laughs> uh, no, I I can't think of a single dessert that has a, a Q in the name. Do you have anything? Uh... The only food I can think of is quiche, and that's certainly not a fruit uh, dessert. Mm. So I just, I just <laughs> quiche. Uh, I just typed uh, <laughs> uh, Android Q names. And there's a CNET article uh, from today. Uh, let's see, with an uh, interview with Google's vice president of product management, um, and he says we're super excited about the desserts. At the same time, Q is a hard letter, but we're looking at it. So it sounds <laughs> sounds like they don't have anything yet either. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I look forward to it. Actually, uh, something just popped into my mind from IO. Possibly the biggest, most exciting feature that I, I hope comes to um, to Apple devices. When you have an alarm going off on any of your devices, you can just say stop and it will stop the time of the alarm going off. <laughs> Yeah. No more keywords, no more Yo Siri, stop. <laughs> Yo Siri, stop as she doesn't hear you the first time. <laughs> well if you're if you're wearing your Apple Watch, you can do it from there. You don't have to say uh Siri at all. Really? Nice. Nice. Well yeah, all you know, Apple we haven't talked now, about much just... how you're using um your new AirPods and the the command that's always listening. Uh actually I actually well I don't use it a lot, but if I want to make a phone call, now I just put my AirPods in and say, yo Siri, call whoever. That's pretty much my only use case, but it's, it is convenient. Uh, the hardest thing for me is adjusting to the fact that I don't have to uh, double tap to talk to Siri, because after owning the first AirPods for a year and a half, I really got in that habit, and I still do it most of the time. Uh, so I'll double tap, and then like my music will start playing instead of... Uh, Siri oh, coming right, up because you reassign the double tap to something else, right? Yeah, they is there default. Is an option to assign the double tap back to Siri? Uh, I'm not sure. I'd never even considered trying to do that. No, yeah, oh, you wouldn't, would you? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I can't do it without pulling out my AirPods. But anyway, yeah. So getting used to that's been tricky. Um, other than that, the same AirPods I've always loved. So they're great. 
how do you find um, like pairing reliability? Because I, I usually don't have a, an excellent experience um, like putting my AirPods in and having them like automatically connect. And, and certainly they'll never like automatically start playing. Or well, most of the time they don't automatically start playing what I was last listening to as well, which is a bit annoying. Hmm. Um, but I, actually saying that most of the time it only happens when I'm just you know, living the, the one AirPod in the ear lifestyle that I have problems like that. Um, do you ever use just one AirPod at a time and, and how do you find the pairing? Uh, the pairings work fine. Uh, I do use one AirPod. I should say connecting, sorry, not not pairing. Like I'm not talking about initial pairing. I'm talking right. about... Yeah, okay. Um, just to make that clear. I don't use one AirPod very often. It's usually uh, like if I'm at the office and I get sent a video or something, I'm going to listen to it really quick. I'll just throw one AirPod in to listen to it. Uh, but that's not my primary use for them. I did notice with my first-generation AirPods, especially when they're getting a little older, that there was a lot of a lot of pairing issues where I would put them in and they wouldn't connect, and sometimes I have to like put them back in their case for a little bit and maybe toggle airplane mode on and off and whatever, try to get them to connect. It became really difficult towards the end, and I haven't had any issues like that with uh, these new AirPods. They've always connected for me seamlessly. Even if it's just one, it's almost immediate. So I think they're definitely better. But I felt like my first generation AirPods were also really good when they first started. So I wonder if it's an age thing. I, I'm, I don't know how it could be unless the signal strength decreases with the degradation of the batteries. Um, but uh, for for the time being, at least, they've they've been excellent. I haven't had a single time where I've uh, had them not connect when I wanted them to. Kind of from day one for me, it was never that good at connecting automatically. Oh, really? I yeah, so if you're saying that it's flawless now, <laughs> then I, that's probably the one thing that's going to push me towards getting it, get that sweet, sweet H1 chip. Well, it's sounding like we might see third-generation AirPods before the end of the year. <laughs> I'd be so surprised. I think it's just because they delayed these ones for so long. They're supposed to come out last September, uh, and I'm sure they were waiting for air power. Uh but they yeah they had they've had these done and ready the second generation ones done and ready for like six months, and they've had this third generation that they've already been working on <laughs> with anticipating releasing this fall. Uh, there's at least been some rumors that they're still going to go ahead with that schedule. I don't know how likely that actually is or not, but I think there was uh, like YouTubers made whole videos about how. Like kind of clickbaity, like oh man, AirPods two were the, was the biggest waste of money, and the video was like they're the best thing I've ever bought, but better ones are coming out in a few months, so I shouldn't waste my money on it. Ah, <laughs> oh, you can't regret stuff like that until it actually comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's not fair. But uh, yeah, these these uh, the third generation is supposed to be the the big change from what I've heard, with maybe mm. some water resistance and isolated sound and all of that. So I'm excited to see what uh, they do next. I, I would pay endless money for some sort of sound isolation. Yeah, hopefully that means they fit in your ear a little better too. Yeah. Well, I'm James VDM on Reddit and Twitter. And I'm Jellywoot on Reddit and Twitter. <laughs>